Good morning, people of Grace. Uh, uh, one of the things we want to do today, we've been over the last several weeks giving you kind of an update on uh, our summer to give and kind of where we were, where things were falling, who we were giving to, and uh, that sort of stuff. And it was fun for me as I was putting together these numbers for Matt, and we've been talking about it a couple of weeks ago. I said, Matt, I, I need to show you something. I said, let's go back to uh, when the pandemic started and last summer, summer of 2020, we, uh, we just saw that you as a church were giving kind of incredibly well. And we expected during those summer months for the giving to go down that actually increased for us uh, the first five months of the pandemic. And so we said, let's give this money away. And so we began to give money to community organizations. And last, by the end of last summer, into the fall, we had given away $251,000 uh, to our community. Uh, that went to things like the Central uh, Texas Food Bank for those that, that had experienced unemployment, uh, Austin Disaster Relief Network, uh, uh, and their great work in the city. We wrote. Uh, 2,400 cards and put a $30 gift card in to give to 1,200 uh, healthcare workers at St. David's Hospital and then again at Seton Hospital. Uh, we gave money to uh, what was called the CARES Fund, a, a relief fund that was set up among the churches in Austin so that we could help those churches that were experiencing more of the economic distress and downturn from the pandemic. And we gave to that, we gave to Mission Possible, uh, God of Hope Prison Ministry, Cops for Charity, Mosaic Street Ministry, all kinds of different things last year. And so this spring when uh, Matt and I were talking through the preaching calendar and we were talking about this First Peter series, uh, he was coming up on the, on the uh, the, the, in chapter two, where it talks about let, let those outside the church, let, let people around you see your good works and marvel that God would do this through you. And so we started talking about, of, okay, what can we do to express that? And so what, what we proposed was this summer to give and a fall to serve. And summer to give, would, we would say everything that came in in excess from May through September that we would again give to the community and uh, um, support uh, local groups that were helping people in our community and around the world in, in particular crisis. So in the spring, we immediately gave uh, $217,000 uh, to the source and to uh, Community First Village for them to, to, to support them building uh, four of their tiny homes. And we've done a visit over there. It's fun to see what they're doing. Then in the course of this summer, we uh, added to that uh, $282,000. Uh, we gave uh, to Community First Village again, ADRN and their new headquarters, the Baptist, uh, the, the Haiti Baptist Mission, uh, English uh, language ambassadors, the Education Connect, uh, um, the Restoration uh, Arts Center, which is a part of Mission Possible and, and uh, some neat work with kids in Pflugerville, uh, Mission Possible, God of Hope Ministry. And uh, we've just sponsored uh, a very unique thing. We had the opportunity to sponsor for the Austin Police Association. They're coming up on their holiday dinners over the next month or so, and they do a special dinner at each of the substations. We're going to sponsor that meal. Uh, isn't that cool? 
uh, to say thank you for these uh, first responders that are helping our community. It's been a hard year in, in so many different ways. And so out in the, the lobby, you saw when you came in some tables with large cards on it. Uh, there's each one of those is for a different substation. So if you take a take a spin around that table and just say thank you to those officers and, and uh, we'll give those at each of those dinners. So all that sum total was $750,000. Isn't that cool? But, but like with any infomercial, you have to say, but there's more. So, so other funds came in by the end of September in that we're working on distributing. So our grand total since the start of the pandemic to give from, to our community is $1 million. Isn't that cool? There's supposed to be ticker tape coming down. It's a, a Wheel of Fortune reference if you didn't catch that. Uh, so we still have money that we're going to distribute, and there's some neat things that we're looking at, some other things uh, supporting some of the families uh, uh, with the police that, that lost officers this past year and thing they're doing this spring and some... Uh, uh, there's actually a homeless center going to be uh, opening up in Northwest Austin to help them navigate the system. And so we're looking at those things develop. But look, it happened because of us collectively, of you giving generously and then us asking the Lord, what do we do with this and what's our stewardship of this money? And then we, the second wave, the summer to give was to come back to you and say, let's do it again. Let's do it more. Now we're not just going to give from the excess we happen to receive. We want you to give generously. And you know what? You did. A million dollars in this 17 months of time that we could give away and support those people in need around us. And people will come to know Christ. They'll be helped. They'll be fed. They'll be sheltered because we did it together. So thank you very much. So there's much reason for us to be enter this Thanksgiving season with a, with a heart of gratitude for what God's doing at Grace Covenant Church. So thank you. Let me pray for that. And I'll pray for Matt too. Father, I thank you for um, the generosity you showed us as a church that you kept us employed and kept us giving and to be generous so that we could be generous and turn outward uh, to our community and to other people in need around the world in the distress that's going on. Father, um, there is nothing like you, and there is no one like you who can really truly meet the needs of, of your people of, uh, and, the, and the needs of the world. And so we turn to you, and, and we bring ourselves to you and our resources that you so graciously entrusted to us, and we turn outward and give, and give generously. So I thank you for each person here and their generosity, and then the, how that overflowed to impact other people. Well, I pray for Matt that you would heal his inner ear, that the treatment he's gone through, that it would work, it would do uh, its good course and good objective, and um, that you would restore him to health and, and uh, take him through this season right now. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So today I want to talk about friends, and good friends, uh, actually, and 
And we're going to look at a couple encounters that, that Jesus had uh, with, with a couple of people. And we're going to see three types of friendship, and then I'm going to share with you three characteristics of what I think makes a really good friend uh, in our life. And certainly we uh, need to have friends in our life. Now, when I was in high school, the high school I graduated from, and I say the one I graduated from because I went to three different high schools uh, uh, in those years, and, but the one I graduated from, uh, as part of the yearbook and part of the year that the senior class elected what they call senior superlatives, and it's those people that were the most likely to succeed or most popular or most athletic or um, you know, the sweetest or the most likely to end up in jail and, you know, and you got your pictures in this section of the yearbook and all that stuff. And, and I, was, I was selected as the, the most friendliest person of our class. Now, I thought it was strange too. Uh, and actually when I heard that, I laughed. I thought maybe it was a consolation because I came in, you know, down the list on the most likely to succeed or something. Um, I only reveal this not to tout my friendliness, but to, uh, for illustrative purposes this morning, okay? Now, I laugh because that's not really who I am. I didn't view myself as a very friendly person, and, and actually, I came in to be friendly to other people out of absolute necessity in my life. See, all these kids that were in this high school, it was right outside of Atlanta. It was just beginning to, to be a, a suburban community of Atlanta at that time. So uh, they had all been together since elementary school, kindergarten. And I had moved in my junior year, and so I had to meet people and met a lot of people. And they met me, and people would walk up to me and say, I heard you moved to town. And it's like, why are you talking about me? Uh, and so, kind of, in, it was in that context, but it was a broader context than that in my life, actually, because my dad was in the military, and, and um, at the age of 12, we, we moved from Atlanta to Japan for two and a half years, uh, lived on a military base there. He retired. We moved back to Atlanta. Uh, we went through a, kind of a series of, of, of uh, temporary houses, uh, and so, from uh, the time I was 10 years old until I graduated high school, I didn't go to the same school two years in a row, okay? So you learn to make friends quickly and you become most friendly <laughs> to others because you do that, you make friends quickly because they're not gonna be there very long. Either they're gonna move or you're gonna move or whatever in terms of that. Uh, so I don't, didn't have long-term friendships. So in the seventh grade, I, had, I went to three different schools, okay? Imagine that for, you know, that age group. So I, I made friends quickly, but I didn't have a sense of stability in relationships. My, my older sister, uh, six years older, brother 10 years younger, and then my parents were as much stability as was there. If, you, if I told you about my family, that'd be a different sermon, okay? Uh, <laughs> Even when I went to college, uh, I remember joining a fraternity at the end of my, my freshman year, and I remember sitting in my room two years later thinking, I don't know what to do with these guys because I've never had a friend two years, beyond two years, that was still around. 
So I had to learn how to figure out how to have friendships. So that constant change affected the quality of the friendships that I had. And then there was another factor that affected me in terms of, of, of making friends. I'm actually an introvert. You people are exhausting. <laughs> no. I'm an introvert, okay? I recharge my emotional battery and my physical battery, my spiritual battery by being alone, okay? I, so I withdraw naturally from people. It takes emotional energy when I'm around people, okay? And so, um, no, so, but I had to learn to, to engage with people uh, in terms of doing that. And certainly my profession that I chose and God called me to uh, demands levels of relational connections with people. So I consider myself an introvert with social skills, okay? So there is hope for you introverts that are out there now, because of the deficit of my background relationally in my bent, uh, uh, in terms of that, I had to learn the value of friendship and, and how to make friends quickly, how to enjoy friends while I could. Uh, and most of my friendships were for a season or for a reason, and then they were gone or I was gone. And because of that, I would have to push myself to be vulnerable and be vulnerable earlier in a relationship than maybe I was comfortable with. Uh, in that so that I could connect with someone at more than just the surface level. Others of you here are extrovert and you don't even understand what I'm talking about so far, but we'll all get on the same page in just a little bit. Uh, you just seem to know people and you know everybody it seems like from my perspective. Uh, you remember names, you make connections, you remember things about people. You just, you, you go into a room and you just see your energy rise because you're getting energy from that, that relational and social connection. If I put you in a room by yourself, you would wilt like a flower out of, out of a pot. Introverts, you make friends easily, it seems, and you have lots of, a, a wide circle of that. Well, with this issue of friendship as a backdrop, I want to look at two situations, two encounters, two different men had with the person of Jesus. There's a lot of similarities between the two. Both had some form of debilitating uh, illness that left them uh, immobile. Uh, they had a need greater than they could take care of for themselves. They were both healed by Jesus ultimately, uh, and both were demonstrations of God's power to heal someone through his spoken word. He didn't have to touch them, he just spoke to them. Both had their lives changed radically because of this encounter with Jesus. If you read the full account, and I'm only going to read partial account of, of both of them, you'll see that Jesus had similar interactions with them. He would say things like, your sins are forgiven, and take up your pallet and walk. They both stirred up similar controversies with the Pharisees and the, and the scribes that were around them that saw this because, of course, Jesus did it on the Sabbath. The difference is how they came into this account, encounter with Jesus. So I want to use that to talk about that, talk about friendships and then the kinds of friends we have and characteristics of a good friend. So let's look at the first man in the New Testament in the book of John in chapter 5. 
It says, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he's left the Galilee and come to Jerusalem. Now they're in Jerusalem by the sheep's gate, a pool, which in, is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay the multitude of, the, of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down in, at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which they, he was afflicted. A certain man was there, a particular man was there, and he had been there for 38 years. He had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been, already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the water when the, uh, put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus says, Arise, take up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was a Sabbath on that day. So here's this man, if you, if you go on one of the trips with us to Israel, and I encourage you to do this, uh, uh, just on the north side of the Temple Mound is where you'll find the Sheep Gate. And right near there, you'll see a church called St. Anne's Church, and next to St. Anne's is where they discovered this pool of Bethesda. So about 25 or 30 years ago, they uncovered this and kept going down layers, and it's, it is really kind of deep, and it's... The idea is there's these stairs going down toward this and these porticos, these arches and, and columns there. So the sick and the, those that were ill with illness and lame or uh, in, infected by certain diff, uh, you know, uh, infirmities would gather there. Bethesda, we have a hospital named after. It's a place of healing, okay? So they gathered there and this particular man had been in the, his particular condition for 38 years. And Jesus sees him as he's walking through Jerusalem, uh, and he comes and asks him this most profound and yet very curious position to ask a question to ask a sick man. Do you want to get better? Well, kind of look around, that's why I'm here. But do you want to get better? And notice the man doesn't really answer Jesus' question about desire. He answers it about condition. He says, I have no man to help me, nobody to put me in the water when it gets stirred. See, other people are quicker than I am because of my condition. I'm, I'm lame, okay? I can't get there. I need some help, but I have no one. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't have the help you need, or you didn't have anyone around when you needed help? I remember one time slipping and, and falling in the bathtub uh, and, and cracked a couple of my ribs and was in excruciating pain and, and, uh, 
and there was nobody at home. Dinah was gone. I was alone, but in pain. And so I had to struggle myself out of the tub and dry and get dressed. And then you go to the doctor and they say, well, don't laugh or breathe for the next six weeks and it'll be better. But at that moment when I had a need, there was no one there. There were times when I was traveling early in my career for ministry purposes, uh, and I would be gone on five days of a trip uh, uh, somewhere, and Dinah would be at home with young children, and they would get sick and have fever and runny nose and diarrhea, and she was alone. It was day two in a five-day trip. Being alone is not a pleasant place to be. It's a hard place to be. So this man had no one. Now let's look, flip over to the book of Mark and look at the second man in Mark chapter 2. It says, and when Jesus had come back to Capernaum, Capernaum was a, a town in, in Galilee that became kind of his ministry headquarters. It's where Peter and uh, James and John lived, and Peter's house was was sort of Jesus central when he was in town there. Uh, so he's back in his hometown there. Uh, in, in verse two, it says, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. So he's preaching out of this house. And they came bringing him a paralytic man carried by four men. Uh, in being unable to get to him, Jesus, because of the crowd, they go up on the rooftop, they remove the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, to, uh, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was laying. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. And later he's going to take up his pallet and walk and go away. Now, this man couldn't get to Jesus by himself. So his four men, whether they were friends or relatives, they were certainly people that cared for him, uh, heard about Jesus, they brought him to Jesus. Now, it didn't take four men to carry him. It doesn't for a stretcher, you can do it with two. But all of them wanted the experience of bringing their friend, they cared about him enough to do that. And to, and to be together. They cared enough to overcome the obstacles they met, a crowd, and a, so they go on a roof and they tear it up. Now, before, imagine this scene, okay, the roof being torn up. Now, before you think of some thatched hut where they're just removing, you know, uh, palm leaves and, and, and straw, it was a roof stout enough to hold five men, okay? They tore a hole big enough to put down a pallet with a, a grown man laying on. So they tear up this roof. I'm sure the whole crowd is noticing things falling from the ceiling in a hole opening and light coming in the room. And I'm sure the homeowner had a few things to say <laughs> and had an issue to deal with later. But they were going to get their friend in front of Jesus. They were undeterred. They weren't going to wait till the sermon was ended and the crowd dissipated. They wanted to get them to, him to Jesus. And it's interesting in verse 5, Jesus doesn't say when he saw his faith, he says he saw their faith. 
There was something about a compounding of this group of people who cared enough about this man to bring him to Jesus that Jesus could recognize their faith when he saw it and responded to it. See, good friends, spiritually minded friends will fill in the gap when your faith is weak. Uh, good friends, really close spiritually minded friends know that they can't fix you on their own, but they know a God who can and who can do miraculous things. Really great spiritually minded friends won't settle for your current state when they know that God has something better for you. Those are really good friends. They knew uh, that you wouldn't do any less for them, and so they'll do it for you. Do you have friends you'd tear up a roof for? Are there friends that you have that would tear up a roof for you because they wanted to get you to Jesus? So we're going to look at, uh, use the basis of, from Aristotle, he describes three types of friends. And I want to share with those three types as a basis for us to think about the relationships and the friendships that we have, okay? So he had three types of friends. One was a, a friends of utility, friends of uh, pleasure, and friends for goodness, or virtuous friends, friends of goodness, okay? So friends of utility. These are people that we generally have a reason to relate to, okay? Uh, it could be that um, they serve a particular purpose in your life. So I have a friend that I can call when I need financial advice, okay? I have friends to call if I need a referral to an auto mechanic or a plumber or whatever, and they'll be glad to share with someone uh, that they know. If you go to the same person to have your hair cut over periods of time, you develop a friendship with, and you may even give uh, Christmas cards to each other and tell it about it, your families and all those things, but there's an exchange for services there, right? You get a haircut, they get money, okay? And that's what friends of utilitarian purpose do. There's usually something in it for them. Okay, they do it for you because they know you'll do it for them at some point in time. So you can borrow a cup of sugar, you can borrow a weed eater from them if yours is broken, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they, there's a deep relationship that's going on. And if your style changes and you wanna go to someone else for a haircut, that person kinda isn't your friend in the same kind of way. Right, and, and you move to a new neighborhood and you lose those connections and you have new connections. They're friends of utility uh, for a purpose. Second group is friends for pleasure, okay? These are usually friends that you socialize with or you play with, okay? You have a fun time with. They're golf and hunting buddies. Um, they're the folks that you, you meet at the UT game or the A&M game and you, and you tailgate with or tailgate next to you. You have a relationship. I'll see you next year when we have another football game, okay? Uh, they're, they're friends of pleasure. There may, for a mom, it might be that play group of that kids of similar age that you get together with and they're friends, okay? And you have a good time with and you do events with 
and your kids are around each other and have a pleasant time, but if you were to move out of town, you'd never talk to them again, okay? When that season ends or, or your interests change, you change friends. They're friends of pleasure. Great to have, okay? And you want to have friends of utility and friends of pleasure. And if you think about it, <clears throat> what the pandemic hit us hardest on in terms of relationship were friends of utility and friends of pleasure. All of a sudden, you couldn't go get your hair cut because the, the shop was closed, or you just brought in your circle of activities and you didn't see some of the people that you were seeing on a regular basis, or there wasn't a football game even to go to, or, or an event or a concert or something like that. And so what strained us a lot and what our loss was was with friends of utility and friends of pleasure. Most of my friends when I was younger were friends of utility and friends of pleasure. So that when I moved or I changed schools, I had to make a new set of friends and get engaged with them. And then when that season was over, we left and I made a new set of friends. So I learned to be friendly, yes. But there's a third type of friendship that uh, Aristotle would talk about that are beyond friends of utility and friends of pleasure, and it's called, they're called friends for goodness, or virtuous friends is another name for them. Friends of goodness. These are, are deeper, long-lasting relationships that you develop. These are people that you call first when you're, you find out you're pregnant or you're moving or you got a new job or you got a raise because you got to share it with these kinds of friends. Uh, they're the ones that you tell and ask to pray for you when you're facing a surgery or a particular uh, illness, maybe with your child or your parents. Uh, because you'll, you'll tell them these things or when your marriage is in trouble, you'll go to them because you know they care about you. Over time, these friends have proven themselves that they're committed to your well-being. They're friends for goodness. These friends want the best for you regardless uh, if there's something in it for them. Friends that will carry you when you can't walk or they'll tear up a roof for you, whatever it takes for you to get what you need. Those are friends of goodness. I've certainly have friends that have prayed for me in, in difficult seasons and through hard times and given financially to us generously when we were supported in ministry. But I also knew I needed to learn to have friends for goodness, friends that would engage in my life. But I had to learn to do that, to, to engage in those relationships in that way and let them uh, in close enough for me to share what was really going on in my life. <clears throat> so there, there are friends that I have, friends for goodness, that when, when they ask me, how are you doing, I am compelled to tell them the truth. I don't give them a casual answer of, I'm doing fine, working hard, lots going on all those things that we do in casual conversation with friends of utility and, and friends of pleasure, I tell them how I'm doing. I tell them where I'm weak and I'm hurting or the difficult things that we have. I, 
Sometimes I surprise myself of being so quickly vulnerable with certain people because I know I can trust them and they care about me deeply. Years ago, when I was going through the transition from being on staff with Campus Crusade and the prospect of coming on pastoral staff, I knew I was gonna lose a lot of friends, not because they didn't like me uh, or did, resented me leaving staff, but it's because our circle, my circle was gonna change. Some of them I just wouldn't see. I wouldn't have a reason to talk to. We lived in different parts of the country and when I changed jobs, it, it changed things. So I remember going to a men's retreat at Grace, the first one I attended, and praying, Lord, I need you to help me find friends, okay? So I came in and prayed, and I found someone, uh, you know, we had some things in common and said, look, I'm, I'm forming an accountability group. Would you like to be a part of it? And they said yes, and then I found another person who was really brand new to Grace and said, look, I'm forming an accountability group. I need men in my life that's close enough to see me. And he joined in and brought another friend with him. And we've had different people in that group over time, but there's two other guys, two other men that I've been in relationship with for 26 years. We're involved in each other's life. We tell the truth to each other because we trust each other. Their investment in me has helped me to be a better man, a better husband for Diana, a better father for my kids, a better pastor for you, a better person. They were friends of goodness. There are times where they saved me from the stupidity of my, my thinking and said, oh, you know, when I just vented and told them what I'd really like to do, and they go, okay, glad you got that off your chest, man. Okay, now let's talk about what you're really going to do, because you're not going to do that stupid thing, right? Uh, they have pulled me aside. They, we've, we've, we talk honestly with each other. We've stopped each other from, we know each other well enough that we can say, look, here's what you're gonna, your tendency is to do in this situation, right? They go, yes, that's what I'm going to do. No, you're not, okay? You're going to go in there and say, no, you can't do that. Got it? You're going to report to us later on that, okay? See, we want to invest in, and engage in each other's lives. We were friends for goodness sake. We want each other to become like Jesus, to become like Christ in all aspects of our life. Good friends, friends for goodness, and we all need that. They, need, they encourage me to obey God and to make good choices. So what, what do you look for for a friend for goodness in this? Again, it's not all that hard to find friends of utility or friends of pleasure. You go and do activities that you like to do or you go and do things you need to do, right? But friends for, for goodness, you need to be able to identify and draw them in and cultivate those relationships. So as followers of Christ, I would like to propose that there are three characteristics of a good friend for goodness. And three characteristics I want to encourage you to look for. One is that they're God investors, okay? And another way to put that is they're spiritually minded, okay? They care about the things about God and they're investing in, in themselves in, in relationship to God and they want to encourage others to do that. They, these men encourage my faith, they promote my obedience, the four paralytic, the, the paralytic's four friends took him to Jesus. 
their combined faith was recognizable to him, okay? They were spiritually minded and having people around you that are spiritually minded that care about the things about God that will promote you to care about the things about God rather than your own selfish interest. Those are friends for goodness. A second characteristic I would say is they're character developers. Okay, they care more about your character rather than managing your behavior. Sometimes what happens in accountability groups, it's we do that to keep us from doing bad things. Okay, you keep me on the straight and narrow kind of deal. Well, we need friends beyond just to prevent bad behavior in us. We need friends to help us to make good choices, yes, in our behavior and attitude and actions and stuff. But we need people to help us become better people. Character development. They're not going to settle for you being stagnant or stuck in some area of your life. Those areas of your hurts, habits, and hang-ups, they're going to step in there and say, look, you're about to do it again. Let us help you to make that change. Let us help you to trust Jesus to do something in your life that you can't do for yourself. So we're going to be friends of, of, of goodness so that you don't keep experiencing the consequences of your bents and bad habits and, and uh, character flaws. The third thing they are is truth tellers. So they're God investors, they're character developers, and they're truth tellers because they know God's truth. And they're willing to speak that into, you, into your life you wrestle with scripture. What does this passage really mean together so that you can help apply that in a person's life? And so they're gonna speak truth into your life. They're, they're gonna be an appropriate reflection based on your good bents and the sin in your life and help you to become more like Christ. Listen to the truth tellers in your life. Have truth tellers around you. So these things of finding these characteristics of a God investor and a character developer and a truth teller is important to have cultivate uh, friends for goodness. Finding them is important in that, but it's also important for you to be that for other people. So you learn to be a spiritually minded man or woman, a, a character developing person and a truth teller in other people's lives. Not just blasting them with truth, but speaking truth in love there because you care. Now, I can't guarantee as a pastor that you'd find friends for goodness if you get more involved at grace. I wish I could. But I do want you to know that's what we do here. That's our desire is to cultivate those kinds of relationships And if you want a spiritually minded person and a person who cares about character and is telling the truth, why don't you go to a place where they're gathered? Can I say on Sunday morning or midweek? I mean, that's, you go to a sporting event to find people that enjoy sports, right? You go to concerts of people to find people who enjoy this particular artist. You go to church to find people who care about things of God and want to cultivate that in their life 
and in your life. And so to, to, we're a very large church, okay? It is easy to stay anonymous. It's easy now even to stay at home. It's easy to slip in the dark room and slip out before we turn the lights back on in the end. It's easy to do all that. But you won't cultivate relationships by doing that. You have to stay the second hour. You have to get involved in a community where you can find people that are your age group or gender or, or care about the things that you care about in life and going through similar life stage uh, and get connected with them. And so I do propose us as a good place to start, to look for, to find friends of virtue that will encourage that in you, that will speak the truth and that will correct you appropriately and encourage you when you're weary. Friends that'll take you to Jesus when you really need, have a need there. So church is a church of relational connection. When Jesus left us in this world, he left three primary things to help us live in a fallen world with our fallen nature. He left us his word, uh, he left us his spirit, and he left us his body, the community of Christ. And it's in that context when we combine his word and his spirit in the context of relational connection with one another that we can find people who will take us to Jesus and that we can take to Jesus and will encourage us to walk with him and to obey him. So take the opportunities before you. Again, one of the major impacts of the pandemic was its impact on our our friends of, of, of utility and our friends of pleasure. But see, the pandemic didn't keep me from my friends of forgiveness. We still met, we still talked, we still kept current, we kept engaged in each other's lives because a pandemic isn't gonna keep us from doing that. Now, at times we did it online instead of in person at, at, over a meal, but we still did it. And so the aloneness that you feel, just like that man at the pool of Bethesda, he wasn't alone. There were lots of people around him, but he felt lonely because he had no man, no man to help him. So I'd encourage you to take the steps that you need to, to reach out to people, to get connected, to show up. Sometimes it's just a matter of showing up. It's staying the extra hour, it's coming on a Wednesday morning, or Wednesday evening, or Monday morning, or Monday evening, or uh, men's on Thursday morning and Thursday evening. It's taking that step to do that, to, to connect with others. But you have to initiate that. That's what I learned as I grew up, is friends didn't just walk into my life, I had to initiate to, to get them and to see them develop and to grow in that. Many times when we hear of someone, this is the church leadership, the elders and pastors, of someone who's going through something very difficult in their life and uh, maybe an illness or a death in the family or something like that, one of our first questions as leadership is who, who are they connected with? Who are they in relationship already so that we know that there's people around them, those are going to be the first responders in their life. They'll be the first ones to show up at home with a meal or in the hospital to pray or whatever it takes uh, during that or signing up for that care calendar. 
okay? It's those connections that were already made before the event happened. It is sad when we find out that, that someone's in that situation and going through hard things and they're not connected with anyone here. And then we help people get connected and bring them in. But it's not fun to have nobody uh, around you in those kinds of situations. So as I grew up, I had to learn a lot. Not only was I um, in, a, in situations where I had to change schools often and we moved a lot and those kinds of things like that, I had to learn how to, how to be friends. Uh, I also was an introvert by bent and nature and still am, but I learned the social skills of how to relate and connect with other people and I had to be willing to come out of my introvert bent and be vulnerable with other people so that I could have friends for goodness in that. But I also had another problem when I was little uh, and that was I was painfully shy. Painfully shy. Okay. I was easily intimidated around other people. Again, everything was new and all that sort of stuff, and I would hide behind my mom, and she was very extroverted, and, which made me hide even more uh, in that. And so I can remember consciously, I, I don't know why I did this, but in seventh grade, when I did those three different schools in one year, I decided that I was going to be less shy at each place I went to. Every new place I went to, I would be less shy until I could say I was no longer a shy person. So I made a choice on my part. And so I would go to this new situation and I would be friendly. And I would, I would make friends quickly. Yeah, friends of utility, friends of pleasure. They were gonna be gone in a few months because we were moving out of temporary housing to another house. And the next place I'd do a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until as a graduating senior, I was voted most friendly. But it was choices I had to make along the way to engage. It is very easy to make all the choices necessary for you to stay isolated and alone. It is very hard, and especially if you're shy or you're introverted or your circles are, are small. You have to break out of those circles to try to connect. And when you do that, I want to encourage you to connect with people who care about God and care about you knowing God and will not just be more friends of utility and friends of, of pleasure, but they will be friends of goodness in your life, that no pandemic can keep them away from you. No pandemic is gonna keep them from bringing you to Jesus and encouraging your growth in him. Let's pray. Father, what a great God you are. You are a God who loves us and you are a God of relationships. Your character is that you love people and you care about people deeply, so much so that you would leave your throne in heaven and come and intervene in our history in order to be our savior and to bring us into relationship, to show us what it was meant to have a relationship with the living God. So Father, we entrust ourselves to you and we'd ask that you would give us people, a community that will promote 
our goodness and our obedience to you and to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.